Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have a very special guest with me on the show today, a person with the rare combination of a brilliant analytical mind and a loving, compassionate heart, Eric Bauer. Eric is a native Oregonian born in Eugene. It says here in the footnotes that it was sometime just after the Earth's crust cooled. (laughs) He got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a master's in mechanical engineering from Stanford. In the first 15 years of his career, Eric worked as an engineer engaged in proprietary technology development. He then switched professions into the nonprofit realm to follow his passion for cultivating highly relational Christ-centered cultures that provide transformational services for people struggling on the margins of society. His first position was as the executive director of a rescue mission in Walla Walla, Washington, where he served 10 years. While there, he also served five years on the governor's advisory council on homelessness for the state of Washington. And for the last 15 years, he has served as the executive director of Portland Rescue Mission, which provides a wide range of services to thousands of men, women, and children suffering from hunger, homelessness, and addictions. Eric, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, Eric, I can't think of anyone more qualified to help our audience think biblically about the subject of homelessness, not only because of your decades of service and leadership in that area, but also because you've spent your whole life thinking critically and consistently about the big problems of our day. Mm. Eric, start by giving us a working definition of homelessness and how most people end up in that situation? Well, I think the simplest definition is someone living in a scenario that's not meant for human habitation. It wasn't designed for it or built for it. Whether it be a sidewalk, a bush, a garage, a car, et cetera, et cetera. Not Mm -hmm. built for human habitation. And how do most people end up there? Oh my, you know, there's a wide range of pathways that take people to homelessness, but addictions issues, mental health issues, aging out of foster care, domestic violence, underemployment, unemployment, high housing costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what makes homelessness complex. What brings people there is very diverse. Mm. Their needs are diverse, therefore, and the barriers they need to overcome to get out of homelessness are varied. And Mm. so there's not one size fits all as far as a solution. I would say, having said all that, that no matter what the pathway to homelessness was, by the time they become homeless, there's a, probably a despair, a hopelessness, and an isolation. Because mm. if you have intact, healthy relationships, that usually means you have some degree of support available mm. to live in a, on a couch or a bedroom. Or When you reach total isolation and all healthy relationships have been broken, those go away. And mm. so most people we see share a loneliness and isolation. It's mm. pretty common to anybody out there. And then homelessness itself 
just accelerates all that. I mean, it itself is very, very isolating mm. and degrading. So it just continues to slide downward. The slide that took them to homelessness continues even faster when they hit homelessness. Mm. Well, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about our conversations, Eric, is you think like an engineer. I think you've called yourself a recovering engineer. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like you said, this is a very complex, multidimensional, multifactorial problem. But like all difficult things, it can usually be boiled down into a few, you know, root concepts or root causes. In general, what do you think a homeless person's greatest need is? Well, physically, it's safety and just warmth, food and safety and a place to use the bathroom. The basic needs of life Mm. being met, the tyranny of the urgent to find the next meal, to find a safe place, to stay dry, to stay warm, to get some food, doesn't consume all your waking hours. Mm. So you can actually think about getting off the situation you're in. Uh, So the basic needs of life Mm. and hope. Without hope, people don't try. Even if tools are given to them, if you don't really believe things can get better, and maybe you have many, many years telling you they won't, and now you now believe it, you give up. That's what we do at the rescue mission. We provide the very, very basics of life, everything I mentioned, shelter and food and clothing, and so that people can stop for a moment and engage in relationship. And everything we do, mm-hmm. we do with the intent of instilling hope. You matter. You have value. Mm. By that point, many, many in that journey experiencing homelessness, they don't feel they have any value. And not many interactions of the day show value to them. They're Mm. either ignored, Mm. actively ignored or avoided or ridiculed or stolen from. And so they need to hear value. They have Mm. value. They matter. And because of that, there's hope. People care because you matter. Mm. And they're willing to help because you matter. And let us show you that. And let's give you the basics and start the relationship on the basics. In doing so, convey hope and value. Mm. And then that leads to developing trust. Mm. I can tell you the pathways to homelessness, for the most part, are pathways that have ripped any trust they have in humanity from their lives. Mm. Whether it's been sexually abused or attacked or assaulted, experienced all kinds of different trauma. I think trauma is, a, again, a very, very common background for anyone who is homelessness, whether mm. it's abandonment or abuse or assault, and all that just destroys trust. Mm. So you instill hope, and by doing so, by giving the basics of life, you develop trust between mm. people. And in that now, now that you have trust, the basics are there that can stabilize and calm. Mm. You can now begin with hope in their heart. They can help get up and walk away from where they're at at a pace they can sustain. I think our role in helping is to meet them where they're at and walk with them at a pace they can sustain by providing the very basics of life, instilling hope, cultivating trust. So now we can walk together towards a common goal off Mm -hmm. the street. That embodies everything we do at the mission. And I think that's a universal need for anyone who's experiencing homelessness. In general, how do you think most homeless people view God? as varied as the people in the other population than the non-homeless population. I just think people in despair, despair clouds you. And I think their view of God, all the ones I've talked to in 25 years, vary dramatically from very strong Mm. faith, frankly, to no faith at all, Mm. to angry with God. Anyone who's been through trauma is tempted to 
blame God or sure. not being there. But I find some people with strong faith that they have tremendous, hmm. tremendous issues in their life. It's a spectrum, just like you find in the public. Hmm. Do you think they're more open to God because of their situation? I think what they are is they're more aware of their need. Hmm. They're more aware of, frankly, that humankind is not perfect and that humankind hmm. is sinners. They're aware of that. They don't have to yeah. be reminded of sin or of deficiency. Right. They need hope as opposed hmm. to clarity that their sin abounds. They need hope from that, not face the reality of that. I guess a view I think is pretty common out there. But now where God factors into that is, again, quite a spectrum. Quite a spectrum. It was interesting. I was in downtown Portland with my daughter this last weekend. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's 12. And we got a bite to eat. And we were walking around and we couldn't finish our lunch. And I said, hey, let's go over to the park there and see if somebody's in the park who wants the rest of our meal. And so we walked up. There was four homeless guys talking you know, homelessness is rampant in Portland. So we didn't have to go very far to to find somebody. And it was fascinating. We walked up, I said, Hey, you know, introduced myself. I said, you know, here's the situation. Would you guys like the rest of our meal? And they were very thankful, you know, very kind. And I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And all of them immediately, you know, bowed their heads and said, thank you so, so much. And it was just kind of a fascinating experience for my daughter to walk away, you know, there's all kinds of messages about homelessness and homeless people. And as we were walking away, she's like, wow, that wasn't the experience with homeless people that I was expecting, dad. They were, you know, glad to engage with us, very kind. When you prayed, they were all amen and thank you. And so it was very fascinating to me. Like you said, there's such a spectrum. I think part of that was probably... They're not used to affirmational and caring compassion, mm. uh, unsolicited. Mm. And they were responding enthusiastically to your compassion and interest in them, yeah. if not more than to God himself. Yeah, it, was sure. the, it was more the fact you care. And yeah. this is how you express care. This is your view. Yes. And they're just so thankful that you care. Yeah. And if this mm. is the way you do it, uh, okay, I'll receive it that way. That would be my guess of what you saw. It, it reflects yeah. how little they get affirmation. Wow. And how much they appreciate it when they get it. I look around at so many of the big cities, especially along the West Coast. You know, I, I don't travel to the East Coast a lot. Maybe it's the same everywhere. But it just seems like such an epidemic in West Coast big cities, homelessness. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, at least to me, seems like it's been getting worse recently. Is that true? Or has it always been like this? And if it is getting worse, what's going on? In the 20 minutes we have left, we could scratch that one. But <laughs> yes, it's getting worse. Why? There's argument on that one. I have my opinion. And it's West Coast specific, in part, mm. yes. I think a lot of what you see is the product of long-term, consistent, narrow policy mm. around service delivery for folks in mental health and addictions services mm. in law enforcement, and in homeless services. The mm. combination of those, those areas of how services are delivered, the policies that are form that delivery, and the ideologies that form those policies. Mm. That, I think, has been very consistently and narrowly delivered on the West Coast, and I think the results you see are the fruit of that. Mm. And in all cases, the approach is, 
minimal intervention, minimal accountability, minimal relational engagement around the intervention. It's more transactional. It's like, here's a subsidized permanent house or studio or SRO for life Mm. or not. (laughs) And we're trying to get more of those for you. But until we do, that's what we have to offer because it's called the housing first approach. It's a protocol. It's an approach that government funded services have been driven by for Mm. decades, but on the West Coast have been much more singularly applied. Mm. And since about 2013 or so, it wasn't housing first was a preferred approach. It was the really the only approach we really advocate and fund. Mm. And that approach is direct to housing, housing first. So, but it's not nearly enough permanent apartments for all the folks that are experiencing homelessness. So what about the rest? And the rest have been, in my mind, pretty much ignored by delivery. Shelters are really minimized. Addictions recovery services are really minimized. Mental health services is frankly broken. And so you're just this long, long line of people on the street hoping someday to get into an SRO that isn't there yet. And that's the solution. And as opposed to really trying to engage around the issues I shared earlier about mm-hmm. relational engagement, mental health services and addiction services, just relational support. That's been very, very much missing from the public funded solution. And it's caused what you see. We talked at the beginning of this broadcast about the biblical perspective on homelessness. And I don't know that I can remember verses about homeless specifically. There's, you know, widows and orphans, the poor, the needy, things like that. Do you think the Bible gives a a specific prescription for whether this is the duty of families to try and help or the church or the government? What do you think the Bible has to say about, you know, what we as a society or as a nation or as a people ought to be doing about homelessness? Well, I think there is a really clear scripture. I think it's both a pair, the duality, one in Old Testament, one in New Testament, is Isaiah 58. It speaks to family, it speaks to society, it speaks to government, it speaks to all of them. Mm. Isaiah 58, you know, it says, hey, you know, um, this is a fast I require, you know, to bring into your house the poor who cast me in the homeless, Mm. to clothe the naked. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. I mean, you take care of your own family, relatives in this regard, but everybody else too. Then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard and you shall be called the Lord and he'll answer. It talks about you extend your soul to the hungry. It doesn't just mean a physical transaction, give food. Extend your soul to the hungry. That's wow. 5810. And satisfy the afflicted soul. So this goes beyond, the command goes beyond just giving material needs, but address the soul with your soul, deep relational engagement. And this was the country pleading with God because they were oppressed on all sides, economically going down the tubes. It was a national mourning, a national repentance. Hey, help us. And they're fasting to get God's attention. This was his reply to the nation. Now, this is how you're going to see me intervene and help you. You do this. And then I'll show wow. up. And wow. so I think that's a very direct and powerful. And Matthew 25 is just the same. You know, we had the famous scripture of the sheep and the goats. Who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? Well, those who, what, fed the hungry, housed right. the homeless, visited the prisoner or the sick. Right. Those are the ones that are going to come on in. The ones who didn't, they didn't. And so it's the same exact grouping of people. 
both mm. testaments, both are not specific situations. Both are global response to right. the nation going down and in the New Testament, who goes in and who goes out. Serve these on the margins who deeply need help and serve them with your soul to their soul. Mm. Wow, that is so clear. And I like that it is so broad and general and kind of inescapable <laughs> for a Christian in the church to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. No, it does. Why do you think that Christians or maybe the church have such a bad rap on social issues, especially here in Portland? It's just like the church is like, man, you guys don't even care about the homeless. You don't love people. You're just out there for yourself. How did there become such a disparity between what God has called us to do as Christians and as the church and to be and the reputation that we have in society. Where's that divide from, you think? Well, there's a lot in that. I mean, one is I have the privilege of serving with people every day for the last 25 years that are church people. Mm. So there are a lot of church people giving and serving very sacrificially, very consistently and very lovingly Mm. and doing Isaiah 58 and what Matthew 25 say to do. They are doing it. Mm. They aren't, it's not publicized a whole lot, but there is a portion of the church been doing that very well for a very long time. Hmm. I think in Portland in particular, there is a much more of a societal suspicion or even maybe a dislike for Christianity more than most of the country. Right. And that's been just by church attendance. We know that we're one of the two or three most unchurched areas in the country. Yeah. And so there is a lack of Christian popularity here that would cause a lot of stereotypes to be formed that are negative. Some may be accurate, some may not be. Hmm. So you have the culture war, if you will, in hmm. the Northwest that is the Christians on the minority side of by far. So that's part of the message in your hearing is it's anti-Christian sentiment being thrown out there, true or false. I certainly, as you do probably, and I know Christians that are very compassionate. I know some that are very unempathetic. Just a cross-section there. Sure. I wouldn't agree that the church in general has dropped the ball because, again, I had the benefit of working for 25 years with people who are very much engaged. And mm-hmm. very sacrificially serving and giving, but they're not the majority by any means. They're a minority, but they're there and they've mm-hmm. always been there. Mm-hmm. And I'm blessed to work with them and serve with them and the mobilize the volunteers to do the work. What would you say, you know, to those Christians who might be, you know, listening to this show right now and they say, boy, you know, I go back and read Isaiah 58 and I read Matthew 25 and I pray and I feel like God is stirring me to respond and to do mm-hmm. something. What practical suggestions would you have for those people? Go, you know, serve the soup kitchen at the mission, go out on their own on the streets and hand out water bottles. I mean, w- what kind of things do you think would be a great way for people to act on that burden that God might give? Them? You know, the simplest, and I always like to start with the simplest. <laughs> because <laughs> it is a complex issue yeah. is i'll just point to the good samaritan story you know here's a teacher of the law saying hey you know what's the greatest commandment so, well so, you know love your God, love your heart soul mind love your neighbors yourself well who's our neighbor mm. and he tells a good samaritan story this is your neighbor and it's basically who's the person today as you do your life that you come across that needs help yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's that simple the guy is he's walking on the road the guy they're beat up and there that's his neighbor that was yeah. he was just saying that's your neighbor and yeah. th- that's who your neighbor is and do what you can to help him and that man gave of his time 
he risked. It's a dangerous area. The guy got beat up. Those guys may still be around. He took right, a risk right. to linger, to assist, took his time to do it. It took his inconvenience himself, put him on his beast of burden. And he mm-hmm. walked the rest of the way himself and put that wounded man on his beast and yeah. got to the hotel, paid for it and said, hey, I'm not just going to finish it for one night. Here, I'm going to give you the money for, for now, and I'll come back and give you all the money you need to get this guy to wholeness, to health, mm-hmm. to walk away. Mm-hmm. That was Christ's response to who is our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And how do we love each other as we love ourselves? Well, it's a guy you come across today, whoever that mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So start yeah. there. Start with that biblical definition that Christ gave the Pharisee. Now, hey, and I guarantee you in this city, as you go through it, are in your church. Yeah. There's going to be hurting people on the margins. That guy was on the margin of the road, hurting, yeah. isolated, in a need. Yeah. He did what he could in mm. the moment. So you will find that once your heart is moved, I guarantee you, you will find opportunities. You cannot mm. find. You have to do what the first two guys that came by did, avoid it on purpose right. to stay away from right. it. You have to actively get yeah. away from it to not do it. But yes, you could add simple things like volunteerism to your level, what's your skill set, what your passion is. Yeah. At the mission, we have, you know, there's downtown, the serving food but is also mentoring people. Maybe your passion and your skill, your gifting is more mentoring people and mm. in a more ordered environment. Like I'm a recovering engineer. I like order. I like, you know, <laughs> line upon line and precept upon precept. Well, then, yeah. our, you know, discipleship programs we have in Northeast Portland with men and women in recovery for a full year. We have teaching opportunities, sharing opportunities, discipleship opportunities, as well as things downtown. That's just us. And there's so many other organizations around doing similar things on the streets to very ordered discipleship work. So there's no lack of volunteer opportunities and probably in your church as well. But just doing life, you will find opportunities to lean in and, and assist. So if somebody wants to, like you said, and I appreciate your approach there, There are lots of opportunities, lots of great organizations out there. But if somebody wants to specifically look into the Portland Rescue Mission, how would they do that? Is it online? Yeah, online. There's actually, you know, you can click on a volunteer, click it, and there's instructions on how to sign up and get going on it. And there's a process. There's a simple, like the meal service groups. And then there's the more in-depth stuff like mentoring, in which case we'll have an interview. We want to vet you to see that you're equipped to do it and do it well and you're trained to do it. So it's just, it depends on the trajectory. It will depend on what you're headed for, a simple meal or more one-on-one work. But the, the website will line all that up for you. Cool. Well, awesome. If this conversation has stirred something in your heart or if it sparked more questions in your mind and you want to have a deeper discussion about homelessness, Eric is going to be giving a talk at 7 p.m., on March 18th for our next Ambassadors Forum monthly equipping session. We will be live and in person and also streaming it on Zoom. You can find all of the details of the event at our website, theambassadorsforum.com. Again, it's Friday, March 18th at 7 p.m. Well, hey, Eric, thank you so much for talking with us today and God bless everything that you are doing and continuing to do to serve the marginalized and the homeless in our city. Thank you, Roy. Appreciate it very much. Bye-bye. Wow. What a great conversation from a godly man who has thought deeply about this topic of homelessness here in Portland. 
in kind of in a broader context, the social issues of our day and how we as Christians are called to raise up a banner of love and service to those in need in our communities. And just a man who has absolutely lived out his convictions over the last decades in this area. What a privilege it was. Now, how about you? Are you feeling the tug of God at your heart to be out there and live out your faith in practical terms, to serve the homeless, to come alongside people who are hurting and confused and scared, people who, as Eric said, have lost trust in humanity because of the bad things that have happened to them, or perhaps even hope at all because of just all the circumstances that have put them in difficult situations. I pray that God would be stirring your heart today. I pray that you would listen for God's voice calling you to get involved and look for his strength and his power to sustain you in whatever he might do to serve the homeless here in our community. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 